0: and welcome to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here. Quick shout-out to our local business partners who helped make this program possible. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, located at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store. And a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Gateway also has an excellent catering service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding Has been treating all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. That's Story County Vet. And thanks to Ritual Cafe, located on 13th Street in downtown Des Moines. Fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. That's Ritual Cafe. Thanks also to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant on southeast 14th Street. Authentic Mexican food at excellent prices with friendly service every single time. That's Cinco de Mayo Restaurant. And finally, thanks to Namaste Restaurant at 7500 University Ave in Clive. Uh, authentic Indian food from the north and southern parts of the country. That's Namaste Restaurant. Okay, so with me in the studio today, for those watching on uh, Facebook, you recognize this guy, Charles Goldman. And, um, yeah, we, um, we have Charles here way too often. But, uh, <laughs> but, 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 but the audience says, we want more Charles, less Ed. So we bring Charles in, right? Okay, right. so um uh yeah the program line of today is uh is ambitious. Uh we're gonna be talking uh, later in the show about um how the one percenters might be benefiting from still yet another Trump tax cut. We'll be talking about uh, the confluence of climate change and income inequality, which may be the ticket to turning out the millennial vote in twenty twenty. We'll also talk about um President Trump, the uh White House resident, stable genius, and uh, who has now acquired, apparently, magical meteorological skills. But uh, look out, Alabama. We'll also um, talk about the, uh, how Republican lawmakers are using gerrymandering and uh, how that might actually tip the level of importance from Congress, congressional races, to state legislative races. But first, an update on the Dakota Access Pipeline. This just in, late last week, Friday... Now again, I don't I don't know why the utilities board releases on a Friday. Maybe that's when it was ready. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But of course, the Dakota Access wants to double. They, they just tweeted it out. No, they didn't <laughs> just tweet it out. <laughs> they actually released a 13-page report or, mm-hmm. or uh, order, let's call it. And uh, so Dakota Access wants to uh, double the uh, flow of oil through the pipeline. They want to they want to increase it from 570,000 barrels to 1.1 million. And uh, that, of course, doubles the risk in case of a spill. It um, doubles the carbon, input, uh, carbon footprint. And um, there are people who don't – just like me, who just don't feel it's, uh, it's legitimate because they did not – that's not what they asked for. They wanted they, – they came and said, we're going to build a pipeline that will accommodate up to 570,000 barrels a day. Now they want to
1: pump 1.1 million barrels a day through there. Well, it's the same strategy as basically getting the pipeline in the ground – and then adjudicating the case in front of the Supreme Court of Iowa, who then says, well, it's kind of moot. Yeah,
0: well, but but the utility board, to their credit, have not said it's moot. In fact, you know, they took a long time to uh, respond to this order. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the uh, the uh, Dakota Access filed this. And it wasn't a petition. There, it was um, merely, in their words, notification. They were just notifying the utilities board mm-hmm. that they were intending to, quote, optimize the uh, pumping station in central Iowa, in order to accommodate this double of the d- doubling the the flow of oil. Yeah, and could you let the listeners know where this oil goes? Well, it goes to the highest bidder. Uh, a lot of it, increasingly, going to China. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's well very- not directly
1: to China because the pipeline is not that long. <laughs> <laughs> so-
0: no, but uh, when you when you when you were able to convince your your friends in Congress to lift the ban, we used to have a ban on exporting crude oil. Mm-hmm. You couldn't do it. Well, as of last year, year before, rather, I guess, you uh, could suddenly uh, export crude oil, coincidentally timed with the construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline. So suddenly this oil goes to a a hub station in Patoka, Illinois, and then on down to Texas, where it is refined. And, um, yeah, maybe some of it stays in the U.S., but the... uh, Speculation—it's hard to hard to nail exactly how all this plays out—but mm-hmm. there is absolutely no doubt that uh, exports of petroleum uh, products, both gas and oil, is huge compared to what it used to be. It's—I uh, mean—we used to only be able to export refined crude oil. Now we can now we can export the whole,
1: you know, the yeah. whole darn thing at any stage. Well, what's interesting is, from what I understand, by 2030, 2035, we will be the dominant oil exporter in the world if we continue. We all, we're, we're fast on track to that's do that. Correct. We're already and the biggest oil producer. Ironically, <laughs> the whole point of energy independence was what? What was the independence that we were looking for? It was independence to the vagaries of the political situation in the Middle East. Right. However, that's, uh, that's I have go, That's noticed, going well for us. Right. I was just going <laughs> to say I haven't noticed that this energy independence has allowed us to extricate ourselves right. from all the mayhem in that region. So, so anyway,
0: uh, the utilities board said that Dakota Access um, – It says before they can increase the flow of oil through the pipeline, uh, they're being required to file a petition for an amendment to the pipeline permit that they received back in March of 2016. And they've got to obtain approval from the utilities board. Now, Mm -hmm. Dakota Access says, no, we don't need your approval. We're just going to, quote, optimize the pumping station and increase production. Utilities board is saying no. They are the authority on this. So I think Dakota Access is probably fuming right now and – Figuring out how it's you know how it's going to make the most compelling case when it files that uh, that petition. Now, of course, the utilities board might just uh, at that point roll over and say, "Okay, sure, whatever, it's all yours." Mm-hmm. But they might continue to um, be more uh, show more backbone, show more fortitude as they've been doing. And and if this is a newfound um, uh, resistance to just being rolled by this huge energy company from Texas, good. But right now, this is a Small but significant victory for those of us who
1: are concerned about uh, the Dakota Act. I mean, Bible. do you have any insight as to what may be driving this decision? Which decision? Well, to, to basically not simply rubber stamp uh, the increase. I,
0: I think they don't like being rolled. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I, know, I know one of the board members quite well, and she doesn't like to feel like she's been deceived. And I, I think right now there's oh really uh, you made this really clear utility or Dakota Access that this was a pipeline co- accommodating up to five hundred seventy thousand uh-huh. barrels per day, and, uh, and 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 you know and maybe there's an interpretation of the permit that that uh, suggests that they can continue to increase capacity just by. I mean, just by optimizing pumping stations. But Mm -hmm. the utilities board isn't buying it to their credit. Well, the other
1: thing, of course, is that the pipeline was sold as a job generator. Partly. Uh, Right. And that oftentimes is the argument that's made. I mean, if you look at what's happening with Keystone, Keystone is basically being sold as look at all the jobs it's going to create. But pipelines don't create jobs once they're built. And they don't create jobs in the local economy I mean, they create jobs in terms of waste. It, oh, it was <laughs> well, clean, up, one. clean up. Yeah, exactly. right. Exactly. Right, right, right. When they leak. Yeah.
0: But yeah, but I mean the, the great great case in point, the Dakota Access Pipeline in Iowa, I don't know how many documented site visits we, meaning the opposition, had, and, and not just not just environmentalists, but landowners, farmers, others, who would go and look at the traffic at a construction site on the pipeline, often on their property. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty consistent. One out of every ten or twelve cars or trucks at the site, at the work site, had an Iowa license plate. So these weren't jobs for Iowa pipeline fitters.
1: No, and this is the way it is up in the Dakotas and all these places where they're doing shale oil. Um, people are coming from all over the country to to these jobs. Yeah, a lot
0: of them are from, ironically, Texas.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> anyway, it's just uh, that, that's, I mean, that, that's not – I don't know how many jobs are going to be involved in optimizing the Cambridge pumping station. Probably not a lot. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is right now we've got uh, a utilities board that took almost three months to deliberate on how to respond to both – the Dakota Access Request, and Bold Iowa, Sierra Club, and a bunch of other people filed letters uh, indicating concern about what Dakota Access wanted to do. And presumably, from, it looked from, from reading the order from the IUB, they took it seriously. They took seriously the filings of two organizations, again, Bold and the Sierra Club, mm-hmm. uh, and the people who lived along the route or had concerns about it for other reasons. So kudos to them. Uh, that, that's good. I mean, it, and it took a while. So they uh, deliberated on this extensively, and we'll see where this goes.
1: No, I think it's certainly hopeful. Um, Yeah. Well, switching
0: gears. Yeah. Switching gears. um, Donald Trump, our favorite president um, ever, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely mine. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, after Miller yeah. Fillmore. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think you're going to say Andrew jackson
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay so uh well and this is this is not this next item really is not something that Trump has specifically a lot of involvement with, but he could his if he 's reelected this could benefit him significantly um, How was that well, gerrymandering uh. We've seen we've seen uh, what what uh, Republican lo- legislatures have done, and, just, and, and to be fair, there are some Democratic legislatures. If you've got states where you've got a Democratic House and Senate, you've seen gerrymandering. Yes, but mostly it's been a Republican legislative phenomenon, and they have gone to great means to create districts that that look a little bit like uh, a deformed amoeba, Mm -hmm. uh, some of them. I mean, they're they're bizarre. There's no logic to them at all. The only logic is they're trying to make sure that more and more Democratic voters are disenfranchised. Put them all – cluster the Democrats in one district where they can hands down win Mm -hmm. and make the other ones competitive or slightly Republican so that you you assure – even in a state where you might have a voter registration that's – Slightly democratic,
1: you'll have a Republican legislature now that's overwhelmingly supported, There's overwhelmingly in the Republican. Well, role. and yeah, I think we should, you know, spend enough time to sort of maybe do a, a deep dive into one example of that, so people okay. understand what we're talking about. So, first of all, I, mean, I I wanted to bring this topic up because all we ever talk about is the presidential uh, election, and right. that has been the failing of the Democratic Party for the last two decades, which is the concentration on that one federal election. Um, And in point of fact, the Constitution of the U.S. House of Representatives and uh, a lot of decision-making relies on states and the states, how they set up their own districts both for their legislatures as well as for the House of Representatives.
2: I
0: I would say that the media tends to focus almost obsessively on the presidential election and to some extent U.S. Senate and U.S. Congress to a lesser extent. But, yeah, you know, there's not
1: uh, – there's a lot of local attention to a specific legislative race. Yes, but not, but a, lot not of- a coherent strategy. And, you know, the person who's kind of driving this within the Democratic Party is Eric Holder, the former attorney general under right. Barack Obama. Um, you know, and they're concentrating on states which are the decision makers. In other words, going to California to redistrict. First of all, California uses w- – guess what? you know, a nonpartisan redistricting strategy. Like Iowa. Like Iowa yeah. does. Um, and but going to places like Texas, which may be in play, not in the sense of that they're going to elect a senator who's not a Republican. Not Ted Cruz. Right, not Ted Cruz, correct. <laughs> but you know, that they could actually take one the majority in one of the houses of the legislature. But I mean let's let's take an example. So Michigan, which is a swing state now, right. or at least it was put in play by Donald Trump, um The situation there is that the House of Representatives districts are 9-6 in favor of uh, – 9-5 in favor of Republicans. The number of voters in, in Michigan – would say that again. The, 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 the House districts – The U.S. House. The U.S. House US districts US. are 9-5 in favor of Republicans. Yeah, so that's the quite, vote, however, for those 9-5 distribution was in fact 52 percent for Democrats and 48 exactly percent for about, Republicans. Right, yeah. So these districts are set up to be completely <clears throat> non-representative and they are changed every 10 years based on the census, which we've talked about, the problem with the census. Uh, in previous shows. Of all all the uh, ways that the Republicans accomplish voter suppression, gerrymandering is probably the most effective. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, but nevertheless, Michigan voters passed in the 2018 election a referendum that was brought 61 to 39 to set up a nonpartisan districting commission. Um, And so the Republicans there have brought three lawsuits already (laughs)  … to try to impede the will of the people. Now, we know what went on in Wisconsin, which is a similar situation where they basically – a lame duck Republican legislature uh, signed off on by – what's his name? Scott uh, – Walker. Yeah, Scott Walker um, took away the governor's veto power over the the maps – that would be drawn by the legislature because of course a Democrat could not possibly fairly like they like the Republicans draw the districts. <laughs> so they would defend democracy. But you know, here at 61 to 39 to set up an independent redistricting commission. Now here's one of the suits that the Republicans brought. They claim that their First Amendment rights to free speech and association and their 14th Amendment right to equal protection, which is not their favorite for other things. <laughs> um, would make this commission illegal because or unconstitutional because it imposes prohibitions on who may be a commissioner on this this nonpartisan board. Specifically, the new commission disqualifies anyone who, in the past six years, has held or run for office, has served as a lobbyist, or has anyone who's a parent, spouse, or child of such a person. It has nothing to do with partisan right. affiliation. But I can see why Republicans Republicans wouldn't like it. Correct. Yeah. So now, now in the courts, we
0: have been losing. I mean, pe- people who support fair redistricting uh,
1: s- systems have have lost. I mean. It depends on what you're talking about, because um, the you know we know of course the Supreme Court decided that partisan gerrymandering is not unconstitutional; right. that the Constitution in no way prohibits it. Yeah, which is incredible. Right now, <laughs> incredible. the racial aspect of redistricting which is remains. Of um, and obviously overlaps to some degree the partisan gerrymander because sure. of the high level of yeah. minority voting for Democrats. So um, for instance, r- North Carolina once again doesn't have maps that are valid and that was because of a federal appeals court decision mm. just recently. So it, 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 it is somewhat variable depending on which – whether it's a three judge panel of a conservative court like the fifth, which is North Carolina's uh, federal uh, appeals court, or you know down in Texas obviously a much more conservative uh, new orleans based appeals court or it's whatever the seventh I think is the one out in san yeah. francisco
0: but the, but the bottom line is uh, this reality makes legislative races at the state level much more important, especially coming into the next census
1: correct and uh, and, it, and, it, and uh, it, once again. The people have spoken in many of these places. Florida, the same thing with the felon re, re, uh, you know, right. institution of their right to vote. And so everyone – the Republicans there are dragging their feet on the rules for this, even though the rules were spelled out in the referendum. Or the response is to try to, to stop people from bringing referendums.
3: Right. So the great yeah.
1: defenders of democracy <laughs> – uh, you know, and the market yeah. and the will of the people, the Republicans, do nothing but try to use this to assure that even though they're a minority party, they are a majority party now, I,
0: now I think more, more and more people are, are becoming aware of just how important state legislative races are because mm-hmm. of this. And again, it's, it's also important to point out too again that this is not strictly a Republican
1: problem largely a republican problem well, but
0: there are democratic legislatures states controlled the control. suit
1: the suit at the supreme court was against maryland also right, and that yeah. and that was found to be a partisan gerrymander yep and you know what the republicans are sending out to their 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 cult followers are you know literature saying this is the Democrats are going to eviscerate the Supreme Court? You know they're going to pack the court like FDR, and that <laughs> the know, they're going to gerrymander. Their gerrymander will even be worse. When in fact, much of what the de- Democrats have been pushing for is nonpartisan redistricting. Yeah,
0: no, no. Like a system like we have in Iowa is 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 one that we would recommend to people around the country. Correct, but we also know that. There was
1: talk in the last legislative session as to whether we should
0: make changes. I would not be surprised to see that come up again in Iowa or any other state where you've got a split legislature or or Republican control because Republicans have benefited so much more from partisan gerrymandering. Now, in Iowa, the only only beneficiary is a partisan gerrymandering because we do have it Mm -hmm. at the county level because once the state is done putting together the congressional and legislative districts, counties get to decide – county supervisors get to decide – what the uh, county districts will look like, and in Polk County, um, <laughs> yeah. where you've got strong Democratic control—I mean, you have got a three-to-two Democratic majority—they've mm-hmm. uh, been sure they've, they've been really, really careful to make sure the districts remain Democratic. And now the Lynn County, which is Cedar Rapids, uh, are, are our second-largest city, of course, Cedar mm-hmm. Rapids—you uh, know—probably going to try to do the same thing. But yeah. but that's the only example. I mean, it's it's um, it's still. It's still, I, I, I don't I I I'm, I'm as critical of that as I am of what Republicans are doing at the state level, but this is um this is going to be a big year because uh, you know they I think they're feeling empowered by the court decisions
1: whom the re- re-
0: Republican lawmakers at the state level they're feeling that okay well look at we can we can for the most part get away with extreme gerrymandering and it's not going to be. Challenged effectively in the courts. Well, correct. I mean, that this so, yeah, decision by the Supreme
1: Court it, it, yeah. you know, absolutely and, and, assures that.
0: And so when, you've got, when you got and with more and more with the population of the U.S. becoming more and more uh, non-Caucasian, and and nearly every you know minority constituency is heavily tilted toward the democratic uh, you know democratic candidates. You know, I think I think Republican lawmakers. And, and again, not just at the state level, but the congressional folks know that this is their big chance to try to further assure that they don't they don't continue to see losses going into the next decade.
1: Well, let, let me posit this. Um, you know, we live in a time of hyper partisanship, which yeah. gerrymandering just continues yep. uh, to support. Now, my question would be if we drew districts that are just simply physically contiguous which is where they should be drawn, right? Which is what we do in Iowa, right? Then, so far, if, if you put physically <laughs> contiguous districts together, that means that the districts become far more representative of a wider range of yep. people's needs. So the people who are or far more democratic, yeah, With and the, the, the point, small D, right? The, the point <laughs> would be that the districts then and those who represent them. Would be representing a diversity of people, more representative of the diversity of this country, and therefore hyperpartisanship wouldn't even work. So, for those of you who think we have a, a paralyzed government from hyperpartisanship, getting contiguous, fair redistricting, whether it benefits one party or the other, would actually help democracy greatly yeah. in this country.
0: Well, so just uh, just take a takeaway on this, folks, is pay attention to your state legislative races. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. We're going to take a short break here, folks. And when we come back, uh, as Hurricane Dorian uh, sails off into the uh, North Atlantic, uh, having paid a friendly visit to Nova Scotia and, I believe, uh, uh, Newfoundland as well, uh, we have to uh, pay some uh, respects to the resident stable genius in the White House who is now has also developed magical meteorological skills. We'll be back in a minute to talk about that mm-hmm. on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries,
3: For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns, someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's
2: 515-288-3188. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music, and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual.
3: Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 515-246-8149. That's 515-246-8149.
2: It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa Producers.
3: Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant... Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766.
2: Namaste India is one of the best Indian restaurants in the Des Moines metro. Located at 7500 University Avenue in Clive, Namaste offers a broad range of cuisine from both northern and southern India. Namaste's menu also includes delicious Indo-Chinese and Nepalese dishes. Owner Rani Singh has been in the restaurant business for over 12 years, providing a truly unique culinary feature for Central Iowa diners. Open Wednesday through Monday for lunch and supper, Namaste also delivers to your door. That's Namaste Restaurant at 515-255-1698. That's 515-255-1698.
0: Hurricane Dorian. Um, oh, gosh, what a horrible situation in the Bahamas. Can you imagine? No. Nah, three it's,
1: days of this storm sitting over you? It was
0: traveling at one mile per hour. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
1: That's faster than my, my six-month-old grandf- granddaughter can. And, and, and you know, just so we don't, you know, because we'll have this whole discussion, of course, about climate change and everything else, we all know there aren't more hurricanes. There are, however, undoubtedly more fours and fives. Yeah, and, and again, the, the moving slow thing is is a
0: feature of climate change and the dumping mm-hmm. of tremendous amounts of rain. Right. So anyway, yeah, but, but uh, Dorian now for, um, well, except for some folks along the uh, southeast coast as well, is more of a passing memory. But um, what we still have to take with us from this experience besides the incredible carnage in uh, the Bahamas is President Trump, who um, now has made it clear that not only is he— that his status as stable genius is broader than we even thought. It now includes almost these, these almost magical meteorological powers.
1: <laughs> well, <So. laughs> I, I, I couldn't believe how much time was spent on this. And, well, and, here we are spending time on it. Right. And, and, but, but not much, not yeah, much. We'll move I, I, There is an element that I do want to talk about a little bit after we discuss just a little bit of the ludicrousness of this. So the moment for me, which is so typical of – of the Trump administration was whoever the assistant deputy acting, or whatever that person was from Homeland Security, because I'm, I'm sure he's not a permanent employee of Homeland Security, because everybody's just acting in the um, Trump administration. It's, having, all, it's all a big reality show, right? Having to hold that stupid chart. Where it was clear that he had sharpened in,
0: yeah. <laughs> this, well, and and was part I mean, of the picture. See, I mean, people's jaws were dropping watching it, but and, but and nobody the, really
1: thought Trump himself did it, but apparently he did. Right, and the thing that's crazy is, I mean, the way he embarrasses and um, just uh, you know completely denigrates the people who work with him, but no, they don't work with him. He they work for, for him. him. So he can and they do it he fired wants. at any time. It
0: is like right. a reality show. Yeah, I mean, just so okay, I'm gonna call it an innocent mistake to say, okay, the, the hurricane, you know, people need to be careful in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Alabama. I would I, I could forgive that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when people said, well, no, it's not going anywhere near Alabama. You know, well, okay. some of the earlier trajectories could have put it across the The, Florida Peninsula, into
1: the Gulf, so that's possible. The map from the 28th, which was four or five days before he made the statement about Alabama, four days before he made the statement, shows a couple of the predicted paths. But, I mean, the ones that – you know, there was a density of predicted models all that would have clearly not involved Alabama. Right. And there was a couple, like two really scattered ones that would have gone over a small portion of Alabama. And in fact, they, they came up with some CNN video talking about on the 28th that someone did mention Alabama. The yeah. problem was when the president insisted on it, it was well after. Yeah. And, and,
0: and So, so why wanted not say, oops, and okay, Alabama, innocent mistake. I could, I could forgive that. He's incapable. He's, he's incapable he's of incapable saying he made a mistake. He's incapable of just
1: saying I made a mistake.
0: So he goes to the extent of of uh, doctoring up an older map uh, with a shirt, <laughs> it boggles the mind that this is the guy leading our country,
1: right? And that's and, and I mean, take the crayons away from him, please. This is this is the <laughs> element of it which I'd like to talk <laughs> oh about for gosh. a minute instead of the whole, you know, litany of and, and I mean the, the people on MSNBC saying this is against federal law and that he sure. should be you know, which is true. Which part is against federal law? Uh, like a false warning oh, okay. uh, in terms of things like these kind. Because of, I mean, you know, literally. Sure, millions of people could be moved on the basis of these warnings. Alabama weather officials had to say, "Hey, nothing, nothing to see here. No worry at all." Days later, NOAA comes back and says, "Oh, yeah, Alabama at one point was at risk." This is days after, probably trying to defuse it, right? Yeah, the administration or who knows what. But but this is, but this is the politics of never saying you're sorry, of vindictiveness, and Mm -hmm. and as I said, to move it away to something which I, I think is more important to you and I is. A perfect example of this vindictiveness is, again, these car emission standards. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before, you know, that President Trump decided that instead of the 50-plus miles per gallon fleet mileage that the original Obama standards were going to seek in 2026, they, the administration was going to go down to 37. Now, they claim this was at the behest of the auto companies, but, of course, the person – the group it's at the behest of because there's only one person. There's two people who benefit from that oil and gas interest because if cars get better mileage the demand for oil goes down. Right. Um and of course Donald Trump because he gets to tweak once again President Obama. Yeah, because again a lot of a lot of his policy
0: decisions seem to be driven by just yeah, a an inexplicable vindictiveness against his predecessor. I mean his his, his opponent in the race was Hillary Clinton. Yeah, um, last time he and Obama were seen
1: together, Who he was Clinton, he was he was tweeting about during the hurricane <laughs> yeah. once again, yeah. as, as well as Deborah Messing, uh, <laughs> among others. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. What he spends his time, you yeah. know, talking about. But okay, so what's happened since? Now, if you remember, a number of the car companies had not signed yet, but said that they were going to adhere to California standards right. as well as thirteen which, other states. Uh,
0: which, uh, which uh, again, yeah. Trump is. Spoken out against California standards.
1: Correct. And so what is now happening, we found out late last week, is that the uh, Justice Department, led by his personal lawyer, uh, uh, Attorney General Barr, is going to investigate antitrust violations by the companies that would make an agreement with California. Now, the interesting thing is that, uh, first of all, the agreement is not even signed, and so I don't know how you have a violation if there's – no signed agreement, right, but the big question is what is the reason for antitrust laws in this country it's to, pre- to prevent uh,
0: monopolies from dominating any particular sector of the economy and and to gouging, who, to the, benefit, the
1: customers. correct yeah. they're meant to benefit the customers right. and the people of the United States. The question is, how do we interpret the antitrust laws as benefiting the consumer if they 're going to try to prevent them from adhering to higher mileage standards. Right. Where is the damage to the consumer? It, what, we've taken away their right to have gas guzzlers? <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's just the, the, the so legal it's like, gymnastics. So, so it's like guns, Charles. You be. should have a right to own anything you want. Yeah. And just like guns, that's a right to harm the future for your own children and grandchildren. You know, I mean, it's, there's, there's only one person who – there's only one you know, industry that benefits from this. And the other thing, of course, is what's going on outside the United States? Outside the United States, the demand for high mileage cars is even greater than it is in the United States. So you have this bifurcated or maybe even trifurcated system in the United States where the auto manufacturers are going to be behind the foreign manufacturers in a technology that the majority of the world wants. But don't we also see a situation in
0: some European countries where uh, demand for pickup trucks and SUVs are increasing as well?
1: But not to the degree as it is in the, as, no, as the United no. I mean, States. No, no. it's insane here. It's hard to sell it in in countries where the price of gas is three times what it is here. And the roads are half as wide. And, <laughs> and they're driving on the wrong side of the street. But, you know, but <laughs> well, that's just a couple of countries. Even in China where the demand, of course, is pent up for a lot of vehicles. Even, so does the president think that forcing a, a Chinese trade agreement where they're forced to take American cars that they don't want because they are polluters – I mean, China has a huge problem with air pollution. Yeah, well, and they're sharing that with the rest of the world. That's correct, but they, yeah. in particular, because of the issue of the use of coal for mm-hmm. power plant generation, which, which is driving plant. one in China, yeah. to set up way ahead of us in terms of where they are in solar. Yeah. because even the even the Communist Party is figuring it out. But this is it. We have the politics of complete vindictiveness and retribution. It's just mm-hmm. unbelievable.
0: Yeah, well, hey, we have got to run to a quick break here. Uh, when we come back. Uh, Let's take a look at how climate change and income inequality might be the ticket for turning out the millennial vote in the 2020 election. We'll be back in a minute, folks, on the Fallon Forum. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. That's uh, downtown, tuned by Brother Trucker, one of our favorite local bands here in the Des Moines metro. Again, Des Moines, uh, now known far and wide as the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Special thanks to the local businesses that help make this program possible. Again, Gateway Market and Cafe, located at 20th and Woodland, our grocery store, our neighborhood grocery store, and also a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. That's Hawk. H-O-Q restaurant. Thanks to Sargent's Garage, located at 6th and College. Don't toss your old car yet, folks. Sargent's will always give you a fair price and do the right diagnosis the first time. Thanks also to Diversity Insurance at 1541 East Grand. Again, as the name implies, a diversity of insurance policies available. No appointment needed. Stop by. That's Diversity Insurance at 1541 East Grand. And thanks to Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. All your tax and accounting needs, folks, give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a shout. All right, so welcome back to the program. Uh, again, with me, uh, Dr. Charles Goldman. And, um, you yeah, we, um, know, we see uh, more presidential candidate activity in Iowa than anyone else in the country. And I know folks tend to be, except maybe New Hampshire. No, I think we got. I think we got New Hampshire beat, even. Yeah, but but, but it's close. Yeah, New Hampshire and even South Carolina and Nevada right. all fairly busy. But gosh, we have so many so many candidates. Oh, well, I guess South Carolina and, and
1: Nevada won't be seeing much Republican activity.
0: Well, that's right because <laughs> they, they canceled the primary. Crazy, the primaries. yeah. <laughs> and now, now that Trump has what three Republican opponents? I mean, one I think,
1: of them nuttier than the mm-hmm. next. I mean, they're all kind of nutty, don't you think? No. Oh come on. No. No, no, no. Compared to Trump? Well, I'm not, I'm just saying. I mean,
0: Sanford? If you you sat all four of them down and gave them a Sharpie and a map, I'll bet none of them would annex Greenland into Maine. (laughs) Except for one, Donald Trump. But, um, well, uh, (laughs) so anyway, I I think, uh, although you should definitely invite them. Oh, we will. Yeah, no, we, we invite all the candidates to come on the program. And, uh, and, we, and next week, I'm happy to report that uh, uh, Admiral Joe Sestek, former Republican uh, – sorry, sorry, former Democratic yeah. congressman from, uh, from the Philadelphia area will be on the, on the program. Again, he's like, like a lot of these candidates, spending a lot of time in Iowa trying to get well-known enough to be able to do something in the caucuses. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, 2020 election is getting a lot of attention. And uh, polling has shown that uh, climate change and Medicare – are the top two issues in Iowa and I think in some of the other early states as well. But um, you know, as you were pointing out, Charles, that's you know, it's not the only right. way to attract some of the new vote. I mean, millennial voters have been the target audience that that uh, that a lot of folks feel. if you can gener- If you can generate excitement among millennials, you'll see election results that are very different than what we've been seeing. And there
1: was some Well, the question is, uh, do you run a base election where <clears throat> you look at you you amp up the participation participation of your voters, meaning those who voted last time. Well, even more so. We, you know, Hillary Clinton lost because of lack of enthusiasm among her own voters to come out. This is the same level it did for Barack Obama.
0: I agree. Now there are those who will disagree who will blame Bernie
1: Sanders um, or Jill Stein. Well, but but that's <laughs> all reflective. That's all reflective of a lack of enthusiasm. But now, I, yeah, I think that that. One issue that we've we've sort of not looked at very much that um we should is the the kind of the the generational issue which I think you know the person who's bringing it up most um is to some degree may uh, Bernie Sanders but really most directly mayor pete um and well that's interesting that the two candidates you think are most uh Inspiring
0: to the millennial. No, 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 no.
1: I'm saying the ones who are bringing up the issue of their their, their generational issues here. Right. Okay. Um, I mean, because let's let's look at the facts. Well, a 37 year old and a 76 year old. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, let, let's look at the facts. Um, since 1975, people who are greater than 65 years old are earning 70 percent more than they did in 1975. That's unadjusted for right. inflation. Okay. Uh, 55 to 64, 20% more. 45 to 54, 15% more than their counterparts in 75. 35 to 44, 5% more. This is, of course, the great wage growth in the United States. Right. And 25 to 34, zero. Okay. They are doing exactly the same as their counterparts in And where's that data from? Uh, I have no idea. This is data that was in the Times. Okay. Uh, also, it's, so it's fake news. It's fake news. Yeah. Right. Um, wealth is the same way. Since 1989, 75 years or older, 100% increase in net worth. Okay. And this is taking into account the disparities between, for instance, African-Americans and whites in this country. Right. 65 to 74, 50% increase in net worth. 55 to 64, our age group, yeah. zero. 55, down 25 to 45% mm. versus their counterparts in 1989. So what, what do you hear when you listen to these supposed left-wingers like on MSNBC, oh, no, 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 you can't talk about this. Don't talk about income inequality. You're, you're putting off your, your base. You're pu- you know, no one will vote for socialists, right? If they ask one more person who goes on MSNBC about socialism, they're doing the dirty work. For I, was, the I, was at, I was at a Tulsi Gabbard
0: event in Perry, Iowa, mm-hmm. and one guy praised her military service and said, but please tell me, please tell me you're not a socialist. And she assured him
1: she wasn't <laughs> well, <you> know, it, <laughs> and probably secured his it's, vote. But, it's, but again, he's 70 or It's, in, just, in 70s, nu- it's so. just nutty because what's, what's one of the problems? The biggest problem for the present you know, millennials and Generation Z is they have huge amounts of college debt. Mm, so yeah. wh- you know, while you could argue you know, that Bernie Sanders and, and Elizabeth Warren saying they, we should have college for free seems fanciful and socialistic, it would address the biggest problem that that students have. In fact, what happened when the medical school in New York, NYU, declared that it was now going to be a free tuition school. Right? Now all of a sudden their students said, well maybe I would consider being a primary care provider. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be an orthopedist or a dermatologist to make the money to pay back my four hundred or five hundred thousand dollars in debt to get educated. I mean, these are the things, you know, these are the things that we should be talking about. And stop being forced to talk, you know, in
0: this little well, mainstream centric plane. I don't understand any reticence to talking about income inequality for Democrats because, I mean, back in 20, back in, in, in 2008, you, you might remember the campaign back then. Uh, Occupy happened.
1: Yeah. In, well, this is 0, 0, 09 we should broadcast one well, day no, like Occupy. No, we we, we like, just like, we just yell it louder and louder to each other. No, no,
0: no. 2020, <laughs> sorry, sorry, 2011. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Mic check. Mic <my> check.
1: I'm <laughs> no, I, I get, I get
0: my dates off. 2011. Okay. Occupy, 2011. Right. And uh, again, Obama running for re-election in 2012. Mm-hmm. And it totally shifted the conversation. Suddenly it was about income inequality. Right. You know, even, and it even, in- even Mitt Romney was, was complaining about, uh, about um, crony capitalism. Yeah, <laughs> great. Crony capital, which great. is, I mean, great. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. but um, but uh, but it, it interests me that which you
1: borrowed from Naomi Klein,
0: right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You you know when your Republican presidential nominee is borrowing from Naomi Klein, mm-hmm. something has happened in society to cause a sea change in how we talk about uh, core issues. But anyway, uh, I, I think you're right. I, I think I think the uh, a, a big chunk of the potential voting base is. Very interested in hearing how this huge gap in income in equal, in income inequality is going to be addressed, mm-hmm. and uh, I think a lot of candidates are talking about it. Not just Sanders, not just Buttigieg. Um, certainly, uh, certainly uh, Elizabeth Warren is talking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think nearly everyone is touching on it to
1: some extent. But well, I who, think I think they need to. It's true if you go out there and say we're going to redistribute the wealth only – first of all, there's not enough rich people in this country to be able to fund all the things that they want to do. But there are things well, – there are things that would structurally change the lives of, of people going forward. And interestingly, two of them are – just one of them I gave you, the cost of going to college, which has become sort of the baseline for what you need to do to get decent employment in right. this economy. And the second is climate change. And And – The younger – even younger Republicans understand that there's going to be a huge cost to pay, both monetary and obviously in terms of what they'll be capable of doing if we don't address climate change at some point. Now, it's interesting among Republicans, they actually – the Republican youth for the most part are not that much different than those who identify as Democrats or independents in their belief that climate change is occurring. And and they are fatiguing of hearing from the Republican – Elderly, you know the elders, that it doesn't. That it's just a hoax, Chinese hoax. Yeah, but right. they, on the other hand, are, they see what the Democrats are pushing as as one one of the Republican, you know, leaders at one of the colleges uh, in Virginia said they're going to put us back in the dark ages. Yeah.
0: So who do you, who do you um, among the two thousand Democrats running for president? Actually, now it's down. Oh, to, no. down, it's down to twenty now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who do you see as uh, doing the best job at reaching the millennial voters?
1: Well, I I, I think Sanders reaches them
0: the best. I I, I, I would agree actually, yeah. and I think that's interesting because he's the oldest. Right. Well, is he older than Biden? I can't remember now. I think he is, but it's he, only he's in the same age range. Yeah, but he's he's. Um, He's demonstrating a lot of uh, enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he was in more – he had a busier 4th of July schedule than any other candidate. I think he was in like five parades. Yeah. And uh, this, this past week, and he made a – he did a, tail,
1: a tailgate tour. Right. And and there there it, weren't real tailgates. There, was, there, were, there wasn't a, a lot of beer did, flowing. Why did he do the event at Iowa State? Because I, I was coming in on, on 80. Yeah. And there was like – there was a sign up saying, you know, event. Event, yeah. Get off at this exit. Well, and
0: and I, and I went, and it was um, there were several hundred people there. Really, okay. And, uh, and sure again, they mostly young folks. Yeah, and uh, and you know, and his um, and of course his, his speech kind of built up. You would think that, well, college crowd, maybe he'll talk about student loan debt first. Well, he yeah, like, I talked about it later. Yeah. And he, and he talked about income inequality, and he talked about climate change was the last thing he talked about. And I thought, well, I'm sorry he's saving it for last, but uh, Kathy pointed out that maybe, maybe that's a strategic thing. You, know, you, you, you build up to the things that are most of, of most concern to your audience, income inequality, student debt, climate change. And um, it, it was very well received. Now, I think, I think a lot of candidates are hitting on that theme, mm-hmm. but you know, I will say I think Sanders is finding ways of connecting with people through uh, events – uh, that are very effective. I mean, he's not the only
1: one. No, know? but I think he does it best, but I, I, I find that, that his his speeches tend to be a, just kind of a list of things he wants, and if you're talking to a college crowd, why not just pick two or three things and deep-dive them and really say how you're going to do it? Yeah. It's easy to make a list of things. That's what the State of the Union is. That's why it's such a ridiculous <laughs> you know, ritual. But, um, you know, concentrate on those three things. You know, that you're saying and, and say, this is how we're going to get it done. This is where the money's going to come from. Well, because, this is what it's going to mean to you not to have debt that's well, $500,000. At,
0: at a rally, I think you've got people with a range of interests. You know, you may have mostly students there who are concerned about student debt, but they may also be very concerned about the, the, uh, the buildup of uh, privately owned prisons, for example, or health care. I mean, there was a lot of talk yesterday at the, at the ISU event about health care. Mm. Um, I mean, Sanders probably spoke for I don't know forty, forty-five minutes. Yeah, um, you know, and again, I, he's not the only one talking this way. But I think there's a there's a collective realization that if if the millennial vote doesn't turn out in the general election, you may see another four
1: years of President Trump. Well, I think that that's one of the well, or whoever that's wins a, the Republican primary. Yeah, no, <laughs> that, that's one of that's one of the elements that could lead to to another four years of Donald Trump. Um, but, again, we've asked, I've asked this question of you before. Do the Democrats run a base race, which is get out the vote of the people you already have, or do they go after the supposed independents? You mean for the, in the general? In the general.
0: Yeah. Well, that's really immaterial at this point because right now they've got to run a base race to win the primary. Correct. And, uh, I, I, and they're doing it. Even, even Joe Biden is sounding like a liberal.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so uh, well this party is more liberal. But there but there are but I, I should say there are candidates who are trying to not sound liberal even though they may have policies that that fit the progressive definition. You've got Delaney and, and uh and uh, who else um who are who are intentionally um Yeah, who mm-hmm. are who are intentionally trying to say, "Look, I'm the one with the sensible middle of the road priorities." Uh, that you need to listen to if we're going to win the general election. Well, and, I think and that, I'm not sure that's a good
1: read on the populace. I, I'm, I'm, I, I think that, in particular, Bullock is very underestimated as to whether he would be an effective candidate. I think he, I think he would be. I, I, there is definitely something to be said for it's, you know, if we don't, if the Democrats don't win the Senate. Who the president is becomes essentially immaterial. Yeah, and it is going to involve having to move off of this endless warfare, just waiting for another four years. Yeah, you know, and if Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies in the next year and a half, then <laughs> yeah. it, you know the, 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 the Supreme nature, Court. Yeah, the Supreme Court is is is, is <laughs> going to be generations yeah. before. If Trump was yeah.
0: smart, he would appoint a, a, an eighteen year old,
1: <laughs> an
0: eighteen year old conservative. Yeah. So well, that's what, he's already used up a lot of those for the lower appointments. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Uh so anyway, uh yeah, the 2020 uh, election continues to be fascinating. I'm not sure we have our final. I mean they they talk like Biden, Warren and Sanders are the only three. Well, those three. are
1: the three at the moment.
0: Yeah, but I I think I think that that could shift. I think and particularly of those three, I think the one that could not be in that that tri- triumphant right now is Biden. It's Biden, yeah. I agree. But okay, hey, we got to wrap up this segment of the program. If you're listening on our community-owned stations, stick around. We have got another conversation for you. Another Trump tax cut may be coming down the pike. That may benefit not you, unless you're a one percenter. So um, yeah, again, thanks to Ashley Martinez, our producer, to Sherry Herdina, our post production uh, post production assistant and thanks to charles goldman for tuning in thanks to juan rodriguez here at the station again you can hear us live at 11 o'clock every monday on the fallon forum welcome back to the fallon forum thanks for joining us folks and uh, charles goldman Still in the studio with us as we uh, talk about tax cuts. Uh, how many of you out there felt your lives were benefited from the first Trump tax cut, Charles?
1: <laughs> no, obviously not. I mean, the the first Trump tax cut accounts for almost all of the growth in the economy that um, we've seen. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, if you if you give If you take on over a trillion dollars per year in debt as a government and you inject that into the economy, well, of course, the economy is going to marginally look better. So uh, but of course, where did that money go? That money didn't go into capital investment. In fact, capital investment, you know, like buying machines for factories or setting up factories has gone down under the Trump administration for almost all of the last year. So I mean, the the tax cut, uh, his tax bill was sold as helping the middle class. Well, we, that, yeah, I mean, that's, and, and middle-class tax bills did marginally go down, but not to the degree that uh, those tax bills uh, helped corporations and the richest 1%, right?
0: So when, when people are polled on how they feel about that tax cut, what do you, that was what, 2017, 2018? 2017. No, I believe 2018. Yeah. Okay. So when when people are polled about the 2018 tax cut, mm-hmm. how do they feel? Do they say, "Well, yeah, we we feel it helped," or do they say, "Well, maybe we were
1: duped." Well, people people say they were duped, which has been actually one of the few effective campaigns the Democrats have done. Um, and the point of fact is is that most people in the middle class got a a marginal tax cut, a small tax cut, not anything percentage-wise um, or absolute-wise as the richest, you know, 1% or 0.1%. There was a tax cut. I mean, I think yeah. that's been a very effective campaign of the Democrats. It was, as Nancy, as Nancy Pelosi said, it was a pittance in terms of who benefited. Yeah. So uh,
0: there hasn't been a lot of talk about this, but uh, there's some indication that another tax cut may be in the works.
1: Right. And and this one is clearly directed. They're not even at this point making any bones that it's a middle class tax cut, and that is how, what, how
0: do they sell it if they don't even at least try to pretend? Well, they're not even trying to sell it. Okay. I mean, what's
1: happening is is that you know President Trump, uh, as well as some of his advisors, have talked for uh, over a year about indexing capital gains. Basically, indexing capital gains. If it, you know, for those who may or may not know, um, there are two types of uh, well, there's three types of taxable uh, entities on most people's tax forms. There's your income, wages, tips, things like that. Then there's short-term capital gains, which is assets held less than a year. And then there's long-term capital gains, which uh, is at a lower rate than, way lower rate than income. Yeah, your mansion, your yacht,
0: well, your Caribbean island. Those are capital gains,
1: but what we're talking about here okay. specifically are are uh, capital investments like stocks and bonds and things like that. Now, one of the things that the President loves to talk about is the stock market. The stock market has nothing to do with the economy. The stock market is a gambling casino in which the vast, you know, majority of uh, participants are the wealthy. Right. Indirectly, what, what pension funds are left are investing in the market too, they may hold other instruments, as well as people's four hundred one k's. Do have investments in the market, but these are we know that most people's assets in the United States that are not related to their house are probably fifteen to twenty thousand dollars at most.
0: So would this would this tax cut have to go through the usual congressional process?
1: Uh, they're trying actually to do it. Guess what? By executive order.
0: How do you how do you how do you do that? I mean, I mean, it, Congress, the the legislative body, whether it's a state or, or federal. That that's the taxing and that's the, that's the ways and
1: means, the appropriations, uh, uh, uh,
0: that's, that's where the power is. That's correct. How, 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 how is he going to find a way around that?
1: Well, of course, the Justice Department is trying to find a way around it. <laughs> um, and, and that's what, of course, if he tries to do this, that's the first thing that's going to happen is that there will be a suit uh, claiming that he doesn't have the power to do this. Right. Because it would be a change. Now, I mean, and, and again, what, did, what are they trying to do? What they're trying to do is say that, okay, let's say that you've held something for 20 years and you bought a stock for $30. And now you could sell it for $40 because it's appreciated $10 in 20 years. But because of indexing, that is what your dollar has no, you know, your dollar goes down in value based on inflation. Um, In in point of fact, that stock should be $45 Mm. because it's lost value in today's dollars. So essentially, you would, you would make $10 in long-term capital gains, get it taxed at a lower rate than income, and then on top of that, you could claim it as a loss <laughs> because it should be worth $45. So really, you lost $5 per share on that tax. Mm. And it, once again, the calculations by nonpartisan entities say that this sort of ingenious plan, which of course would further bankrupt the federal government. But
0: that's the kind of plan we expect from a stable genius. Exactly. Like
1: this, this, you know, like 95% of this would accrue to the top 1%, and two-thirds of it would accrue to the top 0.1%. And it, and we've already seen this play out. They claimed that you know bringing back these corporate profits at a lower rate would lead to all sorts of capital investment. Well, the numbers are already in. It didn't. All they did with that money was either sit on it or Guess who got?
0: it? Right, number numbers in on trickle-down economics. It, it's of course it, this that, is that's the been usual for a
1: long time. This know? is the usual Republican idea. If you give rich people and corporations money, they'll slowly meet it out to the rest of us. As Senator Tom
0: Harkin used to say, uh, saying that uh, a tax cut for the rich will help the poor is like a like giving the uh, a horse an extra scoop of oats and saying yeah that'll
1: that'll trickle down as well. Right. <laughs> well, and you know that's that's the deal. I mean, the, the deal is that. People, if you give money to people who are below the income to be able to afford the necessities, they'll spend that money on necessities. Right. And since this is a completely consumer-driven economy, this, this economy dies if they can't dupe the consumer into buying things, right? And how do they dupe the consumer into buying things? Well, they incessantly advertise that you have to have the newest item. That's you. Those people waiting on Black Friday in front of Best Buy to have to have that new Apple. I mean, <laughs> right. I, you know, think about your pathetic life if that's what you're doing. Think about how you are, you know, are just a cog in the matrix, basically. Yeah. Um. You know. So, um. They have to do people into buying stuff they don't need. You know, and that's, it, that's not that's not hard to do in America.
0: No,
2: because it's incessant. It's incessant, right.
1: and it, even if it's not TV, it's advertising on the various platforms that people use the social sure. media platforms yeah. and and then they are able to make the linkage that somehow the stock market going higher is meaningful to you as a middle-class or a working-class person it's meaningless yeah. to you yeah for the most part yeah but this is this these are the kinds of things again that go on so, behind the scenes that have nothing to do with his tweeting that it's just like the environmental policy yeah so people get all bent out of shape about a sharpie uh
0: <laughs> Right, uh, doctoring a, a hurricane map. Right, and meanwhile, or his critique
1: of Deborah Messing's acting, or these sorts yeah. of things. Me-
0: meanwhile, the they, the administration is plotting how to uh, further decimate the federal, you know, budget. Right. In order to benefit a few of uh, Trump's uh, upper crust buddies.
1: Right, and as we know, the, the the tax act retained all sorts of bennies for real estate investors. Mm-hmm. At what point is it not to? Why do we favor these people? They don't. Do you think it's because deep down most people,
0: most Americans, want to be like them?
1: Yes, I think that's a big part of it, and and they believe the myth that they could be one day. Hmm.
0: But you know something? Just because anybody can be president,
1: right? Oh well, no, that was that, that one be, came true. That was that one came true. That's yes. right. No, <laughs> <but> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it is true because people and and you know you know they sort of see you know where they see it. They see it with athletes, right? Right. And the irony is, you know what happens to most NFL players five oh. five years after pretty. they're done? It ain't pretty. Most of those players are bankrupt. Bankrupt? Oh, obviously. Millions gonna, of I, dollars. I, because it, of medical medical expenses or no, what? Because they don't know how to handle money. Uh. You know, and because they too fall into this idea that the money's gonna keep rolling in, it's never gonna end. You know? So you say wait, is it, this is most most do you say most NFL players are bankrupt? There's major- a majority really? of uh, the majority of NFL athletes by five or ten years out. A majority. That's right. More wow. than fifty percent. That's interesting. And, and, I would and never I'm sure guess it's that. true in other sports too, but the NFL is much more accessible.
0: Yeah. I thought you were going to say that most are, are most sustained permanent injuries that compromise their
1: well-being for. Well, the Well, there's no question about that. Lives. But you know the, the TBI issue. Yeah, obviously. TBI. Uh, traumatic brain injury. Yeah. Yeah. No, but uh, again, I I, I think. This is, this is the reason why it's kind of like the unemployment statistics. We've talked, maybe talked about this before. You know, you think it's new jobs they're talking about. No, a lot of times that's second jobs for people mm. who are already employed.
0: Right, right, yeah.
1: So, yeah. Anyway, folks, if you hear
0: talk about another, tax, you know, another Trump tax cut, it's probably not for you. It's almost certainly not for you. There you have it from Charles <laughs> Goldman. Exactly. All right, thanks for tuning in today, folks, to the Fallon Forum.